Welcome to Prompt Brand Innovation, a podcast about branded innovation strategy in the age of chat GPT. My guest today is Hugo Alves, the co-founder, and I love that job title, Model Whisperer of Synthetic Users, an AI model that simulates various types of users' reactions and insights for research and testing purpose. But Hugo will describe it better than I do. So thank you so much for accepting to be on the on the podcast today, Hugo. Could you tell me a little bit more about who you are and about synthetic users? Of course. Uh, thank you, first of all, for the invitation, Joe. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to, to talk to you and to explain what we're doing at Synthetic Users. So essentially, the reason why we built Synthetic Users was because we felt the pain ourselves. And what pain is this? It's the pain of finding people to talk to, finding people that we can understand what their problems are, um, all the amount of work and money that goes into um, setting up user interviews to better understand what might be the pains, needs, and goals of a specific set of users. And since we were dealing with this problem ourselves while building on top of GPT, we decided to prototype and to test this idea as kind of an experiment. And the results we got were so good that we decided there, we know there's more people out there in the world that have this problem. Uh, so let's build a product to solve it. So if you want to run user interviews to better understand the problems your possible customers have or to, to get some feedback on an idea or a concept that you plan to build to solve those problems, you can use synthetic users for that. Mm. You mentioned ChatGPT. Uh, so I think some people understand a little bit about how it works, this kind of large uh, language model built on all the you know, data from, from the internet. Uh, tell us more about you, your product. How does it work exactly? What's the universe of data you are using? So we, at this moment, we use a mix of some proprietary data regarding customer preferences and consumer purchases with uh, one uh, uh, large language model with two of them. Uh, we use both uh, GPT 3.5 Turbo, which is an extremely fast large language model, but the the, the reasoning capabilities of it are not the top uh, uh, that we can get right now in the market because those are on Ch GPT-4, which is what is used on chat GPT. So we use those models with some uh, enrichment with our own uh, data sources. And also we use some other techniques like chain prompting to make sure that the interviews we deliver to our customers are uh, top notch. Mm. And, and people do know that uh, ChatGPT, the, the version that is the most used basically is uh, use data up to 2021. And how often is your model updated? Uh, so at this moment, uh, our data sources are still also a little bit uh, uh, stable in the sense that we don't do live updates every day. Um, every time there's new available data from the providers we work with, uh, we update our sources. But uh, I think it's August 2022, the last update that we did. For the kind of products we see people using our, uh, our platform for, are not necessarily products that require uh, live data or up-to-today data. 
so until now, we have not been uh, too concerned about that. But one of the plans we have in the future is to allow um, our synthetic users to be enriched with live data. So querying real-time databases that are available so we, they can react almost real-time to any changes in market in market condition. Oh, interesting. So, so that means, for example, a company could uh, upload or integrate their own insights, their own database of insights into the model. That's essentially where we're going to. Uh, we don't have that yet, but uh, the ability to import or to connect to external sources of data that look to your particular company is something that we want. I'll give you just a quick example. Imagine a company who already has a product in the market and you have customer support and you answer your customers' requests and, and complaints. If you want, you will be able to connect uh, your customer support data from Zendesk, from Intercom, or, or any other solution you have and use that to scaffold and enrich your synthetic users so they meet even better your uh, customers. And, and so uh, I think we understand a bit about the data, where it's coming from, and, and the possibility of integrating your own uh, customer support data, user insight, I think it's fantastic. But just in, in, in summary, in broad, uh, plain uh, English, how does the model actually create consumer profiles and simulate that from, from all of this data? Without sharing too much, because yeah. all like trade secrets on our sites, uh, uh, the strategies that we use, but without going too specific, what we aim at, what we, the way we look at GPT is almost like he's the best actor in the world. So we, we are really good at defining the, the character that you want him to play. You will then play that role in an amazing, credible, and accurate way. So it's, it's almost like asking him to incorporate a specific demographic or a specific uh, job to be done. And from there, he's able to perform uh, a real time in front of you as if it was that persona. Fantastic. Thank you. Yes, I think, I think we got... Uh... We got an idea how it works. I uh, appreciate you sharing as well a bit about the uh, the mechanics, what's happening in the kitchen. Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, what motivated you to 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 co-found uh, you know such company? You know, using artificial intelligence for user research, for example. Is there any particular experience you mentioned about the frustration about the cost and duration of research? But did you yourself? had a, an experience of the insight that led you down this path. So for me to explain how this journey started for me personally, I need to go back 12 years ago. So I studied psychology and then I worked at the psychology lab in my university for 16 years as the lab manager. And one of my tasks was to manage the participant pool. Essentially a participant pool in this context means the group of people who are available to be part of research studies. This is more on the academic side. And while I was, while I had that job, one of my biggest challenges every year was to find enough participants for all the research studies that the researchers at my university wanted to run. So I was always coming across this challenge of there's not enough people to be part of the studies. And while 
I was working that I wanted to build a product to solve exactly this. So this quest of mine of trying to um, find people who can be can provide their opinions, their thoughts, who can explain their emotions goes way, way back. Since then, I moved. I, I, I ended up not building that product and I moved into technology and I discovered that the same issue appears in technology. So for companies to build products that solve real needs and real pains, they need to understand those needs and pains. And to do that, they need to talk to people. They need to go out and find whoever they want to build for um, and interview them and talk to them to better understand it. And while working as a product manager, that is something that I always try to do to build the pro to, to improve the products I was working in. But I also knew how hard sometimes it, it is to find those people, particularly in the B2B space. It's quite hard sometimes to get um, a, a CMO to, to spend one hour with you for uh, a 50 uh, euro Amazon voucher. There's two bits, they're too well paid to do that. Uh, so I knew that the problem exists, and I and I kept uh, um, going about it every in every way that I could. And recently, while prototyping some products with um, with Kwame, my co-founder, one of the things that we wanted was to help teams have a more planet-centric approach to business and to product building. And one idea that we had was to use large language models like ChatGPT to simulate the planet essentially trying to bring the planet into the room so people could also know the impact that their products would have on communities, on the ecosystem. And it was this idea of simulating a planet as if it was a person that led us to create synthetic users because we felt if it's possible to simulate the planet, why isn't it possible to simulate specific demographics and specific people? And we ran some tests and it worked amazingly. And that's we ended up here. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for, sh for sharing that. And you were talking about B B2B. What, what type of uh, customers actually are using your apps? Is it mostly, and I know it's uh, at the very beginning of a journey, but do you find that it, you get more tractions with uh, large enterprises or small businesses or individual, I don't know, UX researcher, a mix of both? It, it's, as, as always, it's a mix of both. We have one particular challenge. So we have some big companies that, uh, that have been reaching out to us. They want to use synthetic users, but uh, we don't yet have all everything they need. Uh, and I'll explain specifically what I mean by this. With, with big, large enterprises, you know that there's a lot of legal and compliance stuff involved because the data that they are willing to share with you needs to be protected at all times. And although we have, we we, we strive to have uh, an amazing security and uh, uh, layer on our platform, there are certain kinds of compliance-specific, like SOC 2, requirements that we are not yet able to fulfill right now. Another thing is having our own uh, model deployed on our own servers, which is not yet the case. Although we use OpenAI's API that in which they commit not to use your data, it's still an API call. So we don't control the full stack. So although they've been reaching out to us, we've been kind of keeping them uh, uh, just more waiting until we deploy our own models before they can try it full on 
as they wish. Um, what is happening is that a lot of the um, individual entrepreneurs and small teams have been using your app uh, because particularly for small teams, sometimes it's hard to find their customers. It, they don't have enough budget to schedule user interviews. They don't have the skill sometimes to do them in an unbiased way. And they've been reaching out and working with us and, and uh, using our product exactly to fulfill that need, to help them understand their clients better when they don't have access to them or they can't afford to spend time and money to interview them. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I must confess that I actually use it myself uh, quite a lot because I think it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, tool to get preliminary feedback. Do you have any uh, success story or an anecdote that will, uh, uh, among, among past users or current users where you guys managed to do something that wasn't possible before, like a, a, an, an actual impact that shows how yeah. your synthetic users uh, actually had a benefit, uh, had an impact on the business. Yes, we had um, we had someone from the US. Uh, so I woke up the, the other day uh, with an email from LinkedIn saying someone posted about you and synthetic users, and I went to check what it what it was, and and I almost cried because it was the first time that completely unprompted. We I had gotten emails and and feedback on 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 our customer support too with people saying oh i love your tool i've been using it but it was the first time that someone did a post publicly saying if you're not using synthetic users you're missing out we just use them to iterate on our product that we are launching today and it has been amazing and this was one of those uh, uh, uh situations in which when you're building products seeing products being used by real people but having a positive impact in their lives is one of the most rewarding experiences and essentially it was a product that was built to help people have a particular a particular gut condition that they can't eat everything they they have specific foods uh, that they need that they need to avoid and some others that are recommended and it was someone who used synthetic users to better understand these target groups so then they built uh, and this, uh, ironically, an AI assistant to help those people uh, prepare their meals and define their uh, their, their food schedule so they could uh, manage their health in a better way, which is something that uh, I was uh, amazed to see. It was an AI product, synthetic users, helping someone build another AI product to help a group that is vulnerable uh, in their health. Well, this is this is that would be a fantastic case to the uh, you know for 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 marketing purpose for synthetic users. Uh, so, yes, sorry. Yeah, we are talking with the entrepreneur exactly to do that uh, case study. So uh, now I don't want to dampen the mood, but we we talk about this wonderful story and and the usefulness of a tool. Are there any specific use case for which you will not recommend using synthetic users? Because you know from experience. Maybe there will be a mismatch between expectations and actual delivery, or it's just not the tool is not built for that. Of course. So the way these large language models work means that the more data or the more text they have about a particular group of users, the better they can perform. So if you go too niche on your user group, if you are talking about I mean, let me think of an example. If you're talking about people who live in remote villages in Tanzania, 
it's probable that the model hasn't uh, read enough uh, text or enough uh, output from people in that area, so it might not perform as well. Um, it can do it can do educated guesses even on those cases, but if you're going for really remote populations that don't feel have a, a, a big footprint online, the, it, the product tends to become not bad but dull. Uh, the, the the answers that you get from the synthetic users are not something that challenges the way you're thinking about your product, which is one of our main goals, is to help you think deeper and have a, and have a, a stronger consideration of alternatives and challenges and concerns and not necessarily just getting uh, dull feedback that says, mm. yes, your idea. Yeah, this is very interesting. It's actually a very useful tip, uh, and it does make a lot of sense intuitively that if you don't have uh, enough data or a footprint, uh, it will be harder to basically simulate you know, these users. Dick, what has been the reaction of, uh, for example, either the, the market research uh, community or people who do UX, uh, user research? What, what was it so far? Did you experience any pushbacks or, or, or skepticism, you know, perhaps because of the limitation you're highlighting? Uh, ooh, let me tell you about a couple of weeks. I okay. So, as as always, the, this kind of product that aims to disrupt a particular market or make a, a, a big uh, improvement on, on it uh, tend to have mixed reviews. It, it, it's, a, it's a good thing, in a sense. You want people who love your product and you need to be okay with people who hate your product. And we got a lot of people who hate our product. Uh, there's a there's a more traditional user research style that uh, feels that our product is almost offensive. It's not even, they don't even care if it works or not. It's more about this shouldn't exist. And mm. while some of them have some valid criticisms, which is, uh, uh, which overlap with my own uh, concerns regarding our product, which is how accurate is the feedback that you get from the personas? How useful is it? How valuable is it? Uh, those are all valid concerns that I embrace also and that I do my best to mitigate. Some other con concerns are less based in reality, are more of a moral reaction to the idea of talking to a, a machine learning model in the same way you would talk to users. On, in some other cases, particularly with people who are more adept at trying new technologies, have been amazing because I've seen people uh, post about it saying that I did some research uh, last month about this particular set of users and I spent uh, a 10K and I spent 22 hours interviewing and synthesizing interviews. And this week I tried synthetic users and I got almost the same results in a matter of hours. And seeing this kind of feedback from people who are more adapted to technology kind of validates that the market exists and that there's people willing to try it and to use it. Uh, it's just that not everyone in a particular uh, vertical or in a particular uh, function will uh, accept it in the same way. But this mm. kind of all new technology. You know, exactly. I think with every disruptive innovation, there is a significant amount of pushback because precisely it is disruptive. And I guess it's, 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 it's not dissimilar to you know, say artists' reactions to uh, Mid Journey or Dali as well. Some would have a, a visceral reaction to it, and they just don't want 
pretend that it doesn't exist. I think that's a, that's a good analogy. Um, mm -hmm. Some people feel more threatened by the technology and some people are more interested in figuring out how to use it and how it can improve their workflow or their create, uh, creative uh, endeavors, uh, while others are just concerned more about how can I stop it, which is <laughs> always hard to achieve. Well, Italy, Italy banned ChatGPT for a while, so. <laughs> yeah. But then they, they unbanned it in yeah. less than a week, which yeah. says somewhat. Yes, exa exactly. There is hope. Uh, talking about uh, concerns and, and criticism, you know, uh, one of them, which I think is at the uh, top of mind, especially of uh, large organizations or, or research agencies working on behind for their clients, it's about data, privacy, and, and security. Uh, how do you address these concerns, whether correct? So, so are people able to see uh, what others are entering in terms of research, what are they looking for? Or in the future, where you will be integrating uh, customers' data as well, you know, how do you address the concerns about my data is going to be shared? It's not going to be handled responsibly, for example. Valid, valid concerns, and I'm happy that people have that level of skepticism. I, I, it's something that I expect every business to have about itself: is where is my data going? How is it being used? So. Two points, two important points here. One is more of where the product is today. Uh, we encrypt data both on, uh, in flight and at rest, which means that not even I uh, can can now uh, see what people are are inputting on on the app. Um, if people are willing to share with us for uh, for feedback and to improve the product, right? But if not, there's no, there's no way for us to do that. Having said this, at this moment, we use an external API, GPT-4 and GPT-3.5 Turbo APIs from OpenAI, and to which every request that is done within our platform goes. Yeah. Although their terms of service uh, say that they don't use that data anymore for retrainings or for training the model, I understand that for some companies and for some compliance uh, certification, this is not enough. This is why we're working on, on fine-tuning our own models so we can deploy them um, on our own servers and serve our customers with the guarantee that their data will never leave our scope. But um, as you know, for, for a lot of big companies, this kind of security and privacy thing, it's not even judged on a common sense basis. It's just that they have a list of check, point, check, check boxes that they need to fulfill. And until those are fulfilled, legal doesn't let you move uh, forward. So we're working on having our own models so anyone at any enterprise at any um, scale can work with us. But until now, only smaller companies who are not that concerned uh, with the using a third-party API are normally the ones who use it. No, that makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> Looking ahead, then, uh, what's the what's your vision for the future of synthetic users? You know, so there is the uh, data privacy and compliance path that you're working on. Are there any other exciting developments that you you're currently working on or, or planning to introduce in in the coming months or, or coming years? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share what my my dream uh, is of of synthetic users. My dream is a product that creates products. 
is a product that you can just tell him, I want to build a product for this particular user group. Let's imagine uh, dog owners, people who have dogs, and it go and by itself, it can figure out what are the biggest pains that dog owners have. It can sub-segment dog, the dog owners category into urban dog owners and figure out what those needs are. It can come up with ideas on how to solve that those needs. It can then interview synthetic dog owners to figure out if the product is a good idea. It can then create ads on Facebook, Reddit, Twitter to see if uh, that feedback they got from synthetic users is also reflected on click data from the ad and then make a final decision on which product to build to solve which particular need. So this is kind of a uh, a crazy idea that I have, but it's essentially a full-fledged product that you just need to input who do you want to serve, and it comes up with the problems, finds a way to solve them, tests if it's a good way to solve them, and then it makes a final recommendation. And eventually, with the code creation capacities, code generation capacities of some of these models, it might even build the product itself and start selling it. That sounds, that sounds absolutely amazing. You could even add, you know, features like a like a marketplace to test, uh, for example, when you have this new product, at what price users, you know, what price people will be willing to pay, what kind of almost market share you could, you could expect yeah. to catch. It's a... Yes, but what's the total addressable market? Yeah. Um, we need the, the willingness to buy. We already have in, in, in our product feedback interview, we have two types of interviews, problem exploration and product feedback. On the product feedback interview, we already have a question pointing in that direction. Uh, we, we ask our synthetic users, what would be a reasonable cost for this solution? But there are more complex ways to estimate uh, the price appetite for a particular product. I don't recall the name, but it's one best of all, uh, um, a survey that is even more precise than this that we are also planning on implementing. But there's a, there's a, a huge amount of work still to be done because the ideas that me and Kwame and the rest of the team have go way beyond what exists uh, uh, now in the product. We want to create something that is a lot more encompassing than what we have. Thank you so much, uh, Hugo. I think it was a, a genuine privilege because I, I believe we're going to hear a lot more about synthetic users in the future. Uh, we are very fortunate to have a, a genuine disruptor that is going to change and transform, you know, uh, an industry, you know, whether it's user research or market research. So thank you again for your time and your insights, Hugo. It was a pleasure <laughs> and amazing question, by the way.